Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 22, and we're going to read all the way down through verse 34 in just a few moments. So if you have your copy of the scripture, your device, or however it is that you're looking at the Bible, let's open that together. We're going to study that, and I believe that God's got a powerful word for us this morning. So a dad and son went fishing, and I enjoy going fishing with my boys. That's always a good time. My boys really enjoy doing that, being outdoors and getting out and doing things dad and sons do. And while the dad and son were out fishing, the son looks at the dad and he says, Dad, I have a question for you. And the, the dad said, Okay, son. He said, Dad, why, uh, how can fish breathe underwater? And the dad looked at the son and he said, Son, I don't rightly know. The son stopped for a minute and he thought and kept fishing. And then he came back to the dad and said, Dad, I got another question. And the dad said, All right, son, what's your question? He said, Dad, why is the sky blue? And then the, the dad looked at the son, and he thought for a minute, and he said, Son, I, I don't rightly know. And then he looked at his dad and to, after a few minutes, and he said, Dad, I got another question for you. He said, How were things created? And the dad looked at the son, and he said, Son, I don't have all the answers in the world. I, I don't know that I can rightly answer that one for you. And the son stopped for a minute, and he thought for just a second, and and then he looked at his dad and he said, Dad, here's a question you might be able to answer. Do I annoy you with all my questions? And the dad looked at the son and he said, Son, if you don't ask any questions, you'll never learn anything. Dad didn't have a clue about any of the answers, but he wants his son to ask the questions, right? Today, this morning and this evening, what I want to do is I want to seek to answer two questions for us. I want to look at the Scriptures together and I want God to... to Give us answers to these two pertinent questions. And you might write down these questions, or you might have a good brain to be able to process these or to keep them in your mind. But here are the two questions I want to seek to answer. Do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe that God is in control? The second question I want to seek to answer is, do you believe that God's Word is true? Now, obviously, both of these questions come down to an objective viewpoint that you might hold. You have to be the one who makes the decision based on uh, these questions, what you would choose to believe. You're going to have to come up with the answers. But what I want to do is over this morning and this evening, I want to present to you a case that would dictate and prove to us that God is, in fact, in control and that God's word is actually true. Now, here's where I want to start. I was so encouraged to come in this week, and you know, it's not very often you walk into a sanctuary and you see a couple of glass jars full of ping pong balls. But you know what? I know the heart of your pastor, and I know what God's called him to do, and how he's, called, uh, he's been called to lead you, and so I knew exactly what these were as soon as I walked in. If I'm not mistaken, these are the one person that you have been praying for that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the people that God has put on your heart, that He has laid on your heart, and He's expressed to you that this person is someone who you have in your life, who you have a relationship with, who is your neighbor, who is your co-worker, who is your family member, who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And here's what I need to express to you right off the bat. Do you know why it is that you were drawn to write that person's name on that one ball? That one doesn't have a name. Here's one. Two initials. Someone in here had upon their heart an R and a W. 
You know why? Because this morning what we're going to see in Scripture is God is in control. God has a plan and a purpose for every person's life. God has a will and a desire for every person to have the opportunity to know Him as Lord and Savior. God has at the heart of who He is salvation for mankind. Why? Because God is in control. So let's look together at Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 22, and we're going to take a look at how God is in control, and we're going to try to answer that question, do you believe God is in control this morning? In Acts chapter 17 and verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man uh, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. God, now I pray that you would answer this question for any person in this room who may be doubting the fact that you are a God who's in control, that you are a God with a perfect plan, that you're a God who has established everything upon the earth, that you are a God who is creator, you are a God who is dependent on no one, you are a God who places people in geography and history that you are the God who is in control and the author of salvation that you are the God who will judge men in the end of days that you are the God father who knows all sees all and is involved in everything that's happening upon the earth this morning father if there's a doubt or a question may it be answered in the hearts of my friends in this room father if there's one here who doesn't yet know you as personal lord and savior I pray by the power of your spirit that you would draw them unto salvation and for those in this room who are believers in Jesus Christ I pray this morning that you would light a fire of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with their one and their other one and their other one and their neighbor and their friend and their co-worker and their family member father their sons and their daughters their grandchildren father that you would ignite in their hearts a fire and a passion to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ in every circumstance and situation that they find themselves in why because you are a God who has positioned them and placed them strategically for your purpose of salvation for all mankind father may that be true in our hearts this morning may we be spurred by that truth and may we be drawn 
to find our fulfillment in your purpose that you have for us right here in Davis, Oklahoma, and the surrounding areas. We're going to trust you, God, now that you're going to answer this question for us. Do we believe that you are in control? And yes, God, I know that the answer is yes. And I pray that you would help us all to walk away from this place knowing that the answer is yes, changed by that truth. We love you and we trust you for this. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. Amen. As you look at this text, what's happening here is Paul has entered into a place called Athens. And Athens is over in the Greek area, the Greece area of the world, right? And so it's right across the ocean, from the sea from Turkey. And so you have this uh, general area where Paul has been going on missionary journeys and he's been sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just a matter of a month ago, a month and a half ago, I had the blessing and opportunity of going to, to Turkey. And we're helping, our church is helping to plant a church in Antioch. How cool is that? We're getting to plant a church in the original location where Jesus Christ used Paul to minister the gospel and to plant some of the very first churches. And so we took a trip all the way across the country of Turkey. We got to visit Ephesus. We got to visit uh, Laodicea. We got to visit Hierapolis. We got to visit uh, uh, Tarsus. We got to visit all the way across, all the way over to Antioch where we met up with about 12 believers, 12 believers in a city of over a million people. That's it. That's all the believers that we know of in that city. 12 believers and we worshiped with them in their house and how powerful is that that God is doing a new work of doing what he's already done and starting it all over again in that location and this is the same thing that's happening here Paul has traveled all the way across Turkey and now he's made his way over into the Greek area and so he's just visited Berea and Berea we know are the Jewish believers and there's believers who are ardent for the word and believe fully that the word of God is truth and they stick by every word that's shared there but in every location including Berea that Paul went there were always people who would rise up against Paul and they wanted to silence the name of Jesus Christ now why is it that the name of Jesus Christ brings such turmoil that there's always people even in the United States who desire to silence it it's because it's a powerful truthful message that's designed and created by God that he is in control and he desires for men to know and Satan wants to have nothing to do with that truth he desires to silence the name of Jesus and so Paul has been in Berea he's been preaching the gospel he's been there with Timothy and Silas and what happens is as as he's preaching Satan does what he does and he raises up some people to silence that name and so Paul is forced to leave Berea and he finds his way over to Athens and now listen to me it's no coincidence that Paul has ended up in Athens. And Paul, everywhere that he went, he immediately went looking for people to tell about Jesus Christ. And as he looked around Athens seeking out those who he would share with Jesus Christ, one of the things that he did is he ran across all kinds of temples that were created and designed for the worship of idols. So he found temples for gods of man's making, man's mind and man's design and they had built these monstrous monstrous temples right for them to be able to come and to worship to these false idols and these false gods and as Paul's making his way through Athens he's learning quite a bit about the culture of this place just by these big temples that are all over the place and he's learning about the worship of these gods that they have in their heart and mind and it says in, and Paul says in his own words that as he made his way through Athens he came across one temple in particular and this temple was named to an unknown god the reason I'm giving you all that backstory is this listen the question that you might ask is, is it by coincidence that Paul has ended up in Athens? 
are the people that Paul is going to get to talk to and share with, are those people there by coincidence or their own accord? The question that you might ask is this, is, is Athens Paul's destination by mere circumstance? Did it just so happen that Paul was ran out of Berea so that he may end up in Athens just because it was some kind of happenstance of what happened in life? Well, the answer is found in what Paul says next. See, Paul had a very clear understanding in answer to our original question, do we believe that God is in control? And so Paul, walking through Athens, is noticing all of these temples of worship, and he begins to tell people about Jesus Christ. And as he's telling people about Jesus Christ, their ears are open and their hearts are perked, and, and they have lots of reasoning and philosophizing, right? They want to take a lot of philosophy, and they want to argue with what Paul's saying. But some of them are drawn to what it is that he's saying, right? Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that draws people's hearts, even if they can't fully grasp what it means. It's just like if we shut down every light in this room and let a bunch of moth go and we lit a candle right here, they'd all come and hover right around this candle, right? It's the same thing that the gospel of Jesus Christ does. People are drawn to it. They don't understand it. They contradict it. They stand in opposition to it. It's so different from everything else they understand about the culture. And so people are drawn to what Paul's saying. And so here in Athens, as Paul is speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's invited to this place that's called the Oropagus, right? And the Oropagus was the place where, kind of like what we would do here except for a more in a philosophic manner people would come together and they would just discuss all of their viewpoints and opinions and so he's got all these people who are interested in what he has to say and they invite him to come and have a standing position to be able to communicate with them what it is that he's been sharing about this man named Jesus and they're drawn to hear what it is that he has to say and so now that Paul has this audience that's not by circumstance or by happenstance or by coincidence Paul specifically has been placed in this opportunity for a specific person, for a specific reason. God was in control. Now let's see how we believe, we see that Paul actually believes that that's true. If you go on in verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, so he's standing now and he's saying, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, that's a smart way for Paul to get into the conversation, right? Because what he could have done is he could have stood up and said, you guys are a bunch of idolatrous people. What he could have said is, you're a bunch of sinners and you failed at every capacity and your brains have led you astray. That's how he could have started. But instead, he's wise. And what does he do? He stands and he says, I, I see in every way that you're a very religious people. How does he know that? Well, he's been walking down the streets and he's been seeing all the worship that they have towards these gods. And it doesn't matter uh, what you're worshiping. It can become religious. It can become something of law. It can become something of falsity. It can become something that's out of the works of your flesh instead of out of a true spirit of genuine r relationship. Listen, the people here that Paul's speaking to, it is a religious act in the worship of these things. In fact, it's probably real similar to a lot of the churches in America today. They're empty on a Sunday morning. Why? Because we have failed to recognize the relationship with Jesus Christ that changes. And it's become more about the laws and the works of our flesh than it's become about the relationship with our true loving Lord Jesus Christ. And so what do people do? They, they, they just do enough to get by in their law. 
And so Paul looks here at these people and he says, you're, you're religious in every way. He's being smart. And then he says in verse 23, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And then what does he say? He says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to tell you what you do not know, and I will explain it to you. So now Paul dives into an explanation. And just very quickly, I want you to pay attention to the parts of the explanation of Paul. So in verse 24, he looks at him and he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, this is how he chooses to introduce to them this unknown God that they need explaining to them who it is. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. So what does he say? He says that this God is a creator God. That this God is the God who formed and fashioned everything in the world. That this God is the one who took of nothing and made something. Now we know that Luke is writing the book of Acts and probably what's happening here is Luke is just going to give us a synopsis because we can't believe that Paul took three minutes and that's it in front of the Oropagus, right? He had to take more time than that. So we have a synopsis here of what Paul says. And so what Paul does is he draws down in 24 and he paints the picture. He says, we have this God, this unknown God, this God, is a creator and this God is the one who designed and made everything heaven and earth this God is the one who designed and fashioned every single one of you who are seated here today at First Baptist Church of Davis did you know that this same God is the same God who designed and created every single one of the people that are represented on these ping pong balls This God is the God who before the beginning of time had in his mind the purpose and plan of every created image and being that would be fashioned upon the earth. Do we believe that God is in control? He is not enshrined in temples. That's what Paul says next. He says, this God who created the heavens and the earth. He is the Lord, the creator of all things. This this king, this God is not enshrined in temples on the earth. He says, Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. That means that as Paul is sitting here and he's negotiating and talking to this idolatrous people, the ones who have enshrined every God that they can think to enshrine, what does he say? He says, this God will not be contained by one of your buildings that you are building. Therefore, this God cannot be the one that you do not know the name of. He is something different and higher and better and greater than any of the gods that you worship. He's creator, he's not enshrined, he's the Lord of heaven and earth, and he's present in all creation. Did you know this morning that God is present every single place in every single person's life all around the world right now? Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is so much in control that he can be present with every person around the world right now? The second thing he teaches us about this creator it begin, continues in verse 25. He says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So Paul first starts and he says, this is the creator. The second thing he says is he's dependent on no one. Listen, take this for what it is. If you're a believer in this room this morning. God doesn't need you. Whenever it comes to these ping pong balls, 
God does not need you. He can minister and speak to any single one of those person in any way that he desires. If he can speak through a donkey, and he does it every Sunday through me, he can speak through any means that he desires to speak. God is not dependent on any man to fulfill his purpose in his creation. He is the great creator, but he needs no one. He desires to use us. See, what he did is from the beginning of the earth, he looked upon the world and he said, how will it be that my name will go forth? And what did he do? He created man and woman. Then he gave to them a family. And what did he tell them? He said, preach my truth to your family. And then as the family life went, right, we see this transition to this new covenant. You have Jesus Christ who comes on the scene and every person is saved by the person of Jesus Christ who is who? God's Son. From the very beginning of all of time, God's primary purpose in salvation, His primary plan was always Jesus Christ. And then whenever someone gets saved, what does he do? Well, hopefully that's you in this room. You've given your life to Jesus Christ. Now you become a part of the purpose that God has designed. He doesn't need you, but he uses you to share his gospel message with other people around you. That's how the church exists. By the way, that's how the church exists in Davis, Oklahoma today because there was a man named Paul who God called through the person of Jesus Christ, gave him a message, and he went all over Turkey. He went all over Greece. He went all over uh, Israel. He went everywhere that he could go proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. If Paul had not been led by the Spirit, being used by God, God was not dependent on Paul. But he used Paul to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I would not sit here today with the hope of Jesus Christ. God is creator and he's dependent on no one, but he chooses to use everyone that he can. Now, how do I know that's true? Look what it says. He says it says that he's the one in verse 25 who does what? He's the one who gives life. He's the one who gives breath. He's the one who gives everything. Now, in case you're confused, listen to me this morning. God may not be dependent on you, but you are definitely dependent on Him. If you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are doomed and destined for destruction and separation from God the Father. Not only that, but everything that you have in this world that you think you toiled so hard for, God is still in control of what you have and what has been given to you has been given to you so that you can use it for His glory and His kingdom. Most people out there in the world have got that backwards and confused. And what have they started to do? They've started worshiping the idol, the false god, and building a monument. Why do you think we have so many banks? Uh, now, Pastor, you're getting a little crazy. I like that one. Now I got that song stuck in my head. <laughs> the path. Satan desires to cause you to confuse your dependence and what you need for life and put your hope and trust in something that can never give you life, that can never give you hope, that can never give you peace. That's what the world teaches. So Paul looks and he says, creator, dependent on no one. And you know what ultimately that means? That means that, that, that God is in control of life that is given. Our God is in control of all life that is given. He's the creator and he's dependent on no one and we are dependent on him. He is the God who is in control of all life 
that is given. Notice the next thing that Paul says here as he continues in expression. He says, and he made from, in verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Now listen, here's what that text means. It means that God is the one who rises and falls nations. It means that God is the one who rises and falls families. It means that God is the one who establishes not only nations, but every person in His creation. Now take that into consideration. That means that our God is in charge of all geography and history. That means that everything that has happened in historical past was not an accident. Whatever happened to you yesterday, God was in control of. But by the way, whatever happened to the United States 200 years ago, God was in control of. Do you believe that God is in control? Because what Paul is saying is that he's in charge of geography and history. Now, let me put that into perspective for you with CH this morning. Do you know why CH is written on this ping pong ball? Because whoever it was of you that wrote CH's name on this ping pong ball, God positioned you in geography and history to be in relationship with CH so that he can hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You ever considered that? That means that whatever Sunday school teacher or parent or pastor or, or lay person that shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you positioned that person in your life, in geography and history, at the right time, at the right location, so that you could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. This week you have a prime opportunity to play your role in geography and history in the salvation of someone in Davis or the surrounding area. The next four nights, I'm going to preach the gospel as clearly as I can preach it. And, I'm going to, and this morning, what I knew I wanted to do, what I knew the Lord was putting on my heart to do was come and to encourage you and to challenge you and to push you as a church body to take seriously your one. Your one. God positioned you. I don't know CH. I have no clue who that is. But you do. Your house isn't by accident. Your school's not by accident. Your friends are not by accident. Your work is not by accident. Your hobbies are not by accident. Your, your, whenever you go to lunch in a few moments, not by accident. God created you to have to eat, didn't He? And I believe He created you hungry. And I created, I believe He created the restaurants in Davis so that you could go there and tell somebody about Jesus. That'll make real good eating, won't it? I like that. He's in charge of geography and history, and he says so in verses 26 and following. He says he made every nation, he made every mankind, and he determined to allot them to periods and the boundaries. That means their location of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. Now listen to me this morning. C.H. may not know it yet, but he is lost she is lost, and exactly what Paul says will happen in C.H.'s life. And what does he say? Look, he says that they will do what? There are three things. They will seek. 
All those people that were gathered to hear preach Paul preach, all you who are gathered here to hear Rusty preach this morning and to join in the worship, it don't matter why you think you're here this morning, God brought you here. Why? Because you are searching for something that's bigger than you, something to fill the void in your life that sin has left, something to become, some, uh, that you can worship, that you can't keep your hands on, that you can't systematized into your life in a way that is instructive right like I can be in control of my money or I think I can why would it ever become a God over me why would I ever want something that I can dictate and control what it will do to be my God instead don't I want one who can't can't be controlled and that's not dependent on me and that is bigger and loftier and higher I want to seek after that with everything. That Even if I wasn't saved this morning, I know whenever I got saved, I was seeking for something bigger than me. I was seeking for something that could fill me in a way that only it could fill me. And so what I do, I sought after it. And what I begin to do, if I'm seeking after something, listen, what will I do? I'll go buy a book about it. Is that true? If I'm trying to figure something out, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy a book because somebody's smarter than me. they got to figure it out. You know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to show up at church. If I'm seeking after God, I'm going to start showing up at church. I'm going to be like, I don't understand this. Can somebody explain it to me? You know what I'm going to begin to do? I'm going to begin to look for every outlet and avenue to reach out to find out what that thing is that I'm missing. What Paul says is that's what happened in an unbeliever's life. They seek, they reach out, and guess what happens? Word. (laughs) They find. You want to come preach? (laughs) They seek. They reach out and they find. Why? Because God's in control. So listen, we said that God is in control of life given. God is also in control of a life lived. Whether you're a Christian in this room this morning or you're unsaved. Whether you're somebody's ping pong ball or you're not. You're the person who wrote on a ping pong ball. God is in control of your life. And God is always in control of a life that's truly lived. And if that's not enough, God is the author of salvation, Paul says to the people at this location. He says in verse 29, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He's not a God of our making. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. Listen, as you get serious about your one, as you take seriously the commission that God wants to use you to reach that one, He's going to provide a clear opportunity. And what He's going to do is He's going to say, Now tell them about me. And no longer does a person who has heard the gospel have the opportunity to claim ignorance of the gospel. What we've done is we've made them clear as to the measures of salvation through Jesus Christ. And God says that you must repent. If you've been made clear of this truth, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. If it's been made clear to you that the wages of sin is death. See, God does desire to have a close 
intimate, personal relationship with every person, but sin separates us from relationship with Him. And when that sin separates us, there's no healing of that sin except for on the part of God. And so for the wages of our sin is death, eternal separation from God the Father, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we trust and believe, in Romans chapter 10, it says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. When you express that truth to your ping pong ball, when you express that truth to your one, when you express that truth to CH, there is no longer remission of sin. There's only acknowledgement and identification. There's no longer ignorance about how to be saved. Only identification in the true saving work of Jesus Christ. What does Paul say? He says, furthermore, our God is a God who's the author of salvation and he's the God who will judge every mankind. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, the only way that we can have forgiveness from our sin and have the consequence of our sin paid for, which is death, is for someone to die in our place. Not only that, that someone had to die in our place and overcome death by being raised to new life. Jesus, God's Son, died on the cross for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sin. He took death, your death, upon Himself. He was placed in the grave and three days later that stone rolled away. And my King Jesus came out alive. And by His death and resurrection I can be forgiven. Your one can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. So listen, we've said God is in control of a life given. God is in control of a life lived. And God is in control of a life saved. He's the only one that can do it. Now let, now let me help you to apply this this morning. And this is where we come back to this right here. So this morning I believe there are two types of people in the room. And all this week there are going to be two types of people in this room. There are going to be those of you who wrote a name on a ball. And there are going to be those of you who are on a ball. And here's, here's the question for those of you who are on a ball. Can you believe that God is in control? Can you believe that He's the author of salvation? Can you believe that He's in charge of a life created, of a life lived, and a life saved. For those of you who wrote a name on the ball, here's my three application questions. Do you know the Savior? Because if you know the Savior, you can talk about the Savior. 
do you know your neighbor? Because if you know your neighbor, you can talk about the Savior. Do you know your Savior? Do you know your neighbor? And do you know the heart of God? Because the heart of God, listen to me, if you joined your life with Jesus Christ in the person and the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you cannot be separated from the heart of God and the heart of God is for people to be saved. Do you know your Savior? Do you know your neighbor? And do you know the heart of God? And are you ready to live in it? For the next four nights. Invite, let's pack it. Can I tell you my specific prayer this week? My prayer has been prayed that there would be more people saved, not because of the sermons I preach, but because of your individual sharing of the gospel with your one. My prayer is that on Wednesday we have this altar full of people that have been saved, not because I stood up here and preached at them, but because you were faithful to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to your neighbor. Do you believe that God's in control? Because He is. And let me tell you a story of how I know that, and I'm done. A couple of years ago, the one place that I never desired to go in my entire life was India. I looked at that country and I thought, if there's anything opposite of how we live in the United States, India is it. And I was pretty comfortable here. I didn't want the uncomfortableness of India. But as you may expect, you know what God does. He puts you where He wants you to be. And I ended up in India not once over the last three years, but three times over the last three years. The first time I went, it's a Buddhist Hindu country, some Muslims there. But we ended up in the streets with an Evangicube. Now, Evangicube is a track tool. It tells the story because with Hindus and Muslims, you have to be real intentional from creation to the cross. See, they don't believe that the world could be created by anything. So you have to start there and walk them all the way through the plan of how God's been in control in all of existence. So I took the Evangel Cube and I'm sharing. And I had about 30 people gathered up on the sidewalk there. I took that Evangel Cube and I walked all the way through it. And of course, your heart's racing. Anytime you get to share the gospel, your heart's racing. And at the end of that Evangel Cube, I looked at that circle. And I looked at all those people in the eye and I said, Now, will, will anybody trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? You know what I'm asking right there? I'm asking for God to be in control. Because chances are good that most of those people have never heard the message of Jesus. Chances are good that the indoctrinization of that country was so far different from what I just expressed to them that they would never be able to relate in one, one five-minute conversation. And I looked around that circle, and I asked each person, would you, would you, would you, would you? One, neighbor among 30, said that she was willing to trust Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. One neighbor 
among 30. Risked being ostracized from her community. Risked everything that she's ever known. Why? Well, let me tell you why. Whenever she said yes, I'd had so many no's. I was like, I passed her by. And I was like, wait, wait, I think you said yes. And I came back. Of course, I'm speaking English and I have a translator. She says, I said yes. And I said, can I ask you why? She said, I had a dream last night that Jesus came to me in a dream. Last night, Jesus came to me in a dream. And today, you're here telling me about this Jesus whom I've never heard of in my life. Now, don't tell me God's not in control of your one. Don't tell me God's not in control of your life. Don't tell me God's not in control of your geography and your place. The reason First Baptist Church of Davis exists and you are a part of it is so that God can use him for his kingdom in Davis, Oklahoma. I'm called to McAllister. For the next four days, I'm called to Davis. And what I believe about that is everywhere we go, that God has positioned me to do what you're supposed to do with me. Tell people about Jesus. Will you join me? Let's invite tonight. Let's invite Monday. Let's invite Tuesday. Let's invite Wednesday. But more importantly, let's invite the Jesus, not just the church.